0: Maybe be seated. I remember I was either in middle school or high school when a scripture from this book in the Bible came up in church. And I remember the liturgist that morning reading from the book of Job. <laughs> and I kind of loved finding an adult who had made a mistake and I chuckled and it was a joke in our house for a while, the book of Job. But I wonder if unintentionally there is great wisdom in that. Because it's hard work to make sense of what happens in this book. Where a man faces the harshest realities of life. Where he becomes sick and his family dies or leaves him. Where his farm, which had given him plenty, seemed to wither and die around him where everything that had been seemingly to go well fell apart. And he cries out and he wonders where God is in the midst of it all, a question that has crossed my lips, as I'm sure it has crossed many of yours. And within this passage from this complicated book that asks hard questions, I wonder what we can make of it and where we find God in the midst of it all. And maybe, maybe we take this passage and we just find the peace of wild things. However, call on the animals to teach you. The birds that sail through the air are not afraid to tell you the truth. Engage the earth in conversation. It's happy to share what it knows. Even the fish of the sea are wise enough to explain it to you. In fact, which part of creation isn't aware? Which doesn't know the eternal's hand has done this? His hand cradles the life of every creature on the face of the earth. His breath fills the nostrils of humans everywhere. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations, the longings, the thoughts, the prayers of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When the Bible was written, human engagement with the natural world was intimate. When the sun rose, so too did you. And when it set, you prepared yourself to settle into the darkness of night. Jesus' parables are filled with seeds and farmers, with fig trees and tenants. It spoke to the immediate things that surrounded the people in that time. I wonder sometimes if Jesus came back today, if parables would be filled with technological metaphors. Blessed are those who do not troll, snap, tweet, or post in ways that hurt others, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Or maybe blessed are those who are on free and reduced lunch. There is nothing reduced about you in the eyes of God. But I also wonder if Jesus would keep his message even in the midst of our technologically saturated world, about the earth. I wonder if Jesus spoke of the earth and not of books and scrolls. I wonder if Jesus went to the desert and not some palace or air-conditioned oasis with room service. I wonder if Jesus spoke of the land of dirt and sweat. I wonder if a dove descended at Jesus' baptism And he and the disciples hiked up mountains because Jesus knew something that we know too, or at least something that we knew, that creation has lessons to teach us. Within its buds and shoots, so too the gospel lies. And somewhere along the way, we seem to have leveled up. We specialize to a point where we do not have to roll up our sleeves, where our nails are free from dirt, and we don't have to worry about the grubs and bugs and spiders, where our focus is often right here or right here instead of all around here. And as much as I love all the technology and advancements and all that it offers me, You know, I'm appreciative for modern medicine and the ways I don't have to worry about getting smallpox or polio, but I wonder if instead of solely benefiting from these new acquired skills, if we're also missing on a message that God truly intended for us. Lessons about how to live and love and lose. Lessons about anxiety and worry Lessons about caring for ourselves and caring for the earth. Lessons about death and resurrection. What if we have missed out on the peace of wild things? So let us open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Let us open our minds and our hearts to imagine. And let the world teach us of the glory of God. Since I've started here at the church, I have preached on Earth Sunday. And I don't know if that's because Pastor Seth doesn't really care about Earth Sunday (laughs) or if he's capitalizing on my background in environmental science. I'm not quite sure. But I have loved preaching on this Sunday. I've preached on our need for creation care and how caring for the world is a necessary part of our faith. I've preached on the inherent worth of the earth, not in its relationship to humanity, but in the ways that it was beautifully created by God. I find it interesting that God actually makes the world first, makes creation first, and declares it good long before we come into the picture. But today, I cannot help but wonder at the lessons that the earth has to teach us the truth and wisdom that lies all around. I wonder if the earth maybe also preaches the gospel. As we just heard from Job, call on the animals to teach you. The bird sails through the air. They are not afraid to tell you the truth. Engage the earth in conversation. It's happy to share what it knows. Wendell Berry, one of my favorite poets and authors, puts it like this in his poem, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me day blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. The world has something to teach us about worry and anxiety. How many of us wake or maybe we can't even fall asleep in the first place because of our worry or anxiety? We fear. We fear that this is not enough or that we are not enough or that we should get that or do that or be that. We fear tragedy that has not yet come and may never come. We fear tragedy that has not yet come and is inevitable to us all. And some of it we can control, but so little of it we can control. And our minds race and our hearts beat and we circle downward. But like Barry, the wild things have something to teach us. And not the wild things that roar their terrible roar and gnash their terrible teeth, as in the children's book by Maurice Sendak. But the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. Barry, the author of Job, and Jesus and Matthew all teach us that we cannot paralyze ourselves by living in fear of anticipatory grief, mourning those things that are not and might not ever be. Jesus says in Matthew, Look to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Have they all they need? For who has added one minute to their life by worrying the world teaches us to be present to breathe deep what is before us to plan and prepare yes but also to let go and to recognize our own powerlessness and lack of control the earth also can teach us about self-care Gardening is also is often described as a therapeutic activity. And talking with some gardeners from our church over this past week, I heard about how in the tending of the soil, they also tended their souls. There's an intentionality in gardening. And I wonder if we took that intentionality with our lives, if maybe it would allow things to thrive and flourish too. In the Bible, we read time and again of how precious we are in God's sight. We read of how God knew us before we were born, knitting us together in our mother's womb. We read of how we were known and called by name, that we are God's beloved. But do I live like that? Do I really believe that message? See, being a novice gardener myself, there are things that I've learned from gardening that are not only about the garden, but are also about God. Lesson one, you plant your garden somewhere where it can thrive. I made this mistake early on in gardening when, living somewhere with many shade trees, I put my plants out under to grow. Needless to say, after a few weeks, everything was brown and dead. And how often in our lives do we attempt to mash our square peg into a round hole, making ourselves fit somewhere that will not let us grow and thrive? And a garden dies without an environment that it needs. And maybe we do too. Lesson two that I learned was to check in regularly. A friend of mine whose father is a farmer in southern Illinois talked about his checklist. See, my friend's father does not plant a crop and then hope and pray that all works out well. No, he's continually checking in. He checks the nutrient levels of the soil. He checks if the watering system is working. He checks if there are weeds or pests that are getting in the way. And what are the ways that we can create these checklists for our souls? See, so often I think we wait until we hit rock bottom and we know change needs to happen. But what, if it, what would it look like to tend ourselves regularly? Picking those weeds that would otherwise strangle our own spiritual fruit. Maybe they're the weeds of unhealthy relationships or unhealthy self-talk. And we have to pluck these things out so that we can live. Making sure that we are giving ourselves external nutrients as well as internal nutrients that we need to grow and thrive and bear fruit. Thinking about maybe who is your support network? How do you spend regular time caring for yourself on a daily and weekly basis? Who are those people that you can talk to when times are hard and not just happy? Those people who are listen and not try to fix it or make it all better. A third lesson that I learned in gardening is that you have to let go. That life is sometimes just compost and you have to till it under. There are things in this life that we cannot control. And we can try to avoid and our cult- and we can try to avoid and do our best to cultivate. But with our gardens as with our lives, sometimes there's a blight or a pest comes and sometimes all you can do is put it back under the earth. Recognizing that your plans, however thoughtfully they were laid out, might not come to be. But that what was goes back to the earth. Those experiences, those relationships, those jobs become nutrients for what's next. And there is pain, and it also helps to create the newness of life. Our earth teaches us lessons about how to care for ourselves, to plant ourselves somewhere thoughtfully where we can thrive, to check in regularly, and to let go. The earth has many lessons, and more than these two, of how to care for worry and anxiety, or how to care for ourselves tending our own garden. But this week, a final lesson struck close to my heart, and it was that of death and resurrection. On Wednesday, I got a call from my mom that the hospice nurse was giving my grandmother 24 to 48 hours to live. And as I made it to her bedside a few hours after she died, as I held her cold hand and looked into her pale face, I was struck. What happens when death comes amidst the newness of life? As petals pushed forth outside the window of her room from the once frozen ground in all their spring glory, she soon will return to the ground from where we all came from. When God took the earth and breathed life, creating humanity from the dirt, she will return as we all will return. Our lives are limited. And we'll return to the earth. And within our own lives, there are cycles. But we live in a world that tells a different message. We live in a world that tells us that we need to be constantly thriving, that there should always be abundance, that we want to be young and immortal. But we're not. And the moments in our lives will also end. But on this third Sunday of Easter, and on this baptismal Sunday as we celebrate Charlie, we also know that life comes and that there is potential and possibility and hope in all that is to be ahead of us. And we hold fast to the belief that even as things end, and even as we too one day will end, that it is not the end and that God's love remains. It remains as we let go of our worry and anxiety. It remains in the midst of our worry and anxiety. God's love remains as it calls us to tend to ourselves as we tend to a garden, or maybe as we tend to a little one. God's love remains as we let go of parts of our lives and as we let them die so that something else can be born. God's love remains as we let go of our illusion of immortality. God's love remains. And so let us open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Let us open our hearts and our imaginations and let the world teach us of the love of God that remains now and forevermore. Amen.